Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back Kennedy. for this trial is Wayne Allen Root, a name you are familiar with. He is the popular host of a daily nationally syndicated radio show on the USA Radio Network. After graduating from Columbia University, along with his good friend Barack Obama, besties, he went on to become one of the most successful professional sports handicappers for the past 36 years. He is the CEO of Vegas Winners, and it's great to be in Vegas with all these winners. Uh, he was the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian ticket in 2008. He is the author of The Conscience of a Libertarian and The Power of Relentlessness. And we have some breaking news tonight. Wayne will be the host of a brand new television show called America's Top 10 Countdown with Wayne Allen Root on Real America's Voice TV Network starting the second week in August, please. Put your hands together, lovers of the judicial mock trial that is the Freedom Fest favorite for Wayne Allen Root. All rise for the judge. All rise. All rise. Get that blood going and glowing. Have your glow up in your seat. You're funny. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, everyone. How are you? My first appearance as Judge Root. That's pretty cool. Here you go. Oh, I've got a gavel. I like it. I like it. Every time the liberal talks. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, ladies and gentlemen and members of the jury, I met the whole jury earlier. Thank you for serving. We're gathered here in the great sovereign state of Nevada to put the new trend of drug legalization on trial, defending the rights of citizens to decide on their own whether to use addictive and mind-altering drugs is Dr. Catherine Bernard. Dr. Bernard, thank you. Dr. Bernard is a criminal defense attorney from Brookhaven, Georgia. She received her JD degree from the University of Virginia, was a public defender of indigent clients and a practicing attorney in civil litigation in Atlanta. Dr. Bernard has worked tirelessly to confront the abusive powers of local and state government, including a successful effort to prevent no-knock warrants in Georgia and those who are arrested for victimless crimes in the war on drugs. Dr. Bernard, say hi. So now that we've lauded you, I have to say, Dr. Bernard, you were accused <laughs> of supporting legislation to allow individuals to use and abuse marijuana and other addictive drugs that has resulted in more crime, more addiction, more brain damage, and other ill effects of the drug culture in America. How do you plead? Not guilty, Your Honor. My witnesses and I will demonstrate that drug legalization, when done properly, is a benefit to society, freedom, and public safety for all. 
we will begin this proceeding with five-minute opening statements. First, from our prosecuting attorney, Alexandra Daytig. Alexandra is the publisher of Front Page Index, a social media resource based in Los Angeles with a double major in criminal justice management and communications at the University of Phoenix. She's been a political advisor in California on public safety, drug policy, homelessness, that must keep you busy, and human trafficking. In 2010, she was instrumental in the defeat of Prop 19, the Regulate, Control, and Tax Cannabis Act. She served on the advisory board for the Coalition for a Drug-Free California. Ms. Daytig, welcome to our Freedom Fest Court. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. After the opening statements, each attorney will call two witnesses who will be subject to cross-examination. Afterwards, the jury will rule on the case, and if the defendants are found guilty, this judge will impose a harsh sentence. They call me the hanging judge. <laughs> Let me give a few instructions to the jury. You've been selected because you have pledged to be an impartial observer who has not made up his or her mind about drug legalization. You will listen carefully to the opening statements and the testimonies of the witnesses, and at the end of this hearing, you'll be required to determine whether there is sufficient evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that the policies advocated by Dr. Catherine Bernard and her witnesses have proven to have done permanent damage to the youth and citizens of this country, and thus are guilty of public malfeasance. The decision will be based on a majority vote by the jury and does not have to be unanimous. Is that understood? Not unanimous, majority vote. Ms. Daytig, you may begin with your opening statement. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mark, for having me here at Freedom Fest. Let's get right to the point. Your Honor, I'd like to address the court. You may. And I would like to uh, request that you declare a mistrial because we are in a venue, in a setting, in a city that is all about syntaxes. And marijuana and drug legalization is about syntax. In addition, in addition, the, the, the defense is planning to bribe the jury at the end of this trial, and, and that is illegal. Uh, so I have evidence to show that there is bribing of drugs going on in this trial. And uh, I have documentation, and, and I, I insist that you consider declaring a mistrial based on the evidence. Well, if we ended the trial, what would happen to my airtime? Overruled. <laughs> Overruled. We'll see. We'll see about that. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I intend to prove to you drug legalization does not reduce the harm drugs place on the general population. According to the Office of National Drug Control Policy in 2018, only 11% of the estimated 21.3 million Americans who met the criteria for substance use disorder received treatment in a specialized facility. In 2010, when the Obama administration shifted its drug policy towards treating drug abuse as a public health problem instead of a criminal justice system problem, we have seen marijuana legalization laws expanded with the decriminalization of dangerous drugs like meth, heroin, and cocaine in states like Oregon, Washington State, and California. 
In other words, in 2010, after the defeat of Prop 19, the Obama administration abandoned its drug policy on treatment for big government profits. Four minutes left. And now, with open borders and black market competition, this is creating an increase in demand for both adult and youth consumption. For this reason alone, we must suspend all drug legalization efforts because each day our border is open, we stand a greater risk of unenforceable drug gang and drug cartel competition. Last year alone, Enough fentanyl was seized at the U.S.-Mexico border to kill every American. Now, I would like to show my first slide. Please cue my first slide. How am I using this cue, please? First slide. Keep going. Please keep going. <laughs> this is a mar marijuana eradication that took place in the Central Valley of Southern California. Uh, this is a historic eradication, drug cartel seizure, and it was a $1.19 billion marijuana seizure never seen before in the history of the state of California. The strategy is to medicalize in order to decriminalize, then to normalize with recreational use, which means legalization of marijuana is not only exclusive, but interchangeable with all hard drugs. This is mostly done through the ballot initiative process. A cautionary example of this is California Proposition 47, co-authored by soon-to-be-recalled Progressive District Attorney George Gascon. In 2010, when the California Proposition Initiative was defeated, Dr. William J. Bennett and Seth Leibson had me on their radio show, and we discussed research conducted by the California Narcotics Officers Association which stated the public health and public safety costs of alcohol and cigarettes was $385 billion at that time. Estimated taxes generated were $40 billion, leaving a $345 billion net loss. Ms. Daytick, two minutes, two minutes. Sir, for the most part, no one knows where the, criminalization, where the criminal justice system savings are being reinvested into treatment as enacted into law, because treatment is not the goal. Big profits are. Simultaneously, we have seen so-called harm reduction programs from socialist countries like Portugal being introduced. These programs include Narcan training to aid in overdose and crack pipe distribution to homeless addicts in places like Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Seattle. Meanwhile, the commercialization of marijuana is in full force with negative impacts forecasted similar to those of big tobacco. And as predicted, this has also become a regular uh, regulatory and bureaucratic nightmare. The legalization of all illegal drugs is government choosing passivity over responsibility for profit by caving in on combating drug abuse. Addiction and high-risk drug-seeking behavior is seen as an inevitable byproduct of legalization, deeming the human toll an acceptable loss like it is with alcohol. The people should demand government has no right to abandon its responsibilities on allocating tax dollars towards reasonable public safety measures and treatment. While not everyone who consumes marijuana will develop a chronic habit-forming tolerance going beyond recreational use, it is important to understand 
It only takes a very short time for a relapsing addict to reach their highest level of tolerance, resulting in overdose and death. Therefore, we must exercise great caution not to punish the nonviolent user by decriminalizing but not legalizing drugs. With historic black market competition, there is an urgent need for interdiction, demand reduction, intervention, treatment, diversion, and yes, violent offender incarceration, but not legalization. I give you my last slide. Q, last slide. This is a fatal dose of fentanyl. And that is from the DEA. I conclude my statements, Your Honor. Thank you, Ms. Daytick. Thank you. Now we'll hear from Dr. Catherine Bernard, the defending attorney in this case. Dr. Bernard, will you give us your opening statement? Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. And with permission of the court, I do also have an objection. I am asking to have this indictment itself quashed because the public malfeasance is on the part of the government that is imposing the drug war on its citizens. So I ask for the indictment to be quashed. Overruled. My airtime. Overruled. Just with, kidding. With that in mind, Your Honor, I did want to start with a quotation from Thomas Jefferson in the 1782 notes on the state of Virginia. Were the government to prescribe to us our medicine and diet, our bodies would be, soon be in such keeping as our souls are now. Uh, jury can't hear. Mark, what do we do? Jury can't hear. Yeah, because it goes out that way and not back. Uh, how about if we have the jury just stand while she's giving her statement right below? I can step Why don't you stand right below? You can get up. It's okay. The judge says get up. Stand right below. It vibrates out that way towards the audience. You'll hear much better. That probably means you had a hard time hearing Ms. Dating too, right? Yes? But it was, it was easier to hear her than her, yes? Mistrial, mistrial. The jury is not hearing the evidence. The jury never heard the, the case. Evidence, I hope. <laughs> Go ahead, Ms. Bernard. Your Honor, I would remind the court that what the attorneys say is not evidence. That will come from the witnesses that we will be calling. The later. exhibits are there evidence. The exhibits are evidence. Quiet in the court. Ms. Bernard, you're up. <laughs> Thank you. So to quote Thomas Jefferson, were the government to prescribe to us our medicine and diet, our bodies would be in such keeping as our souls are now. Reason and free inquiry are the only effectual agents against error. And ladies and gentlemen, the drug war as it has been prosecuted in this country is a massive error. As I just asked the court to quash the indictment, there is an issue with the fact that legalization is what I am being asked to defend today, because we do not have legalization in this country. It is it's true that certain states have made steps towards legalization and decriminalization. However, marijuana remains illegal at the federal level. No drugs other than alcohol, nicotine, and caffeine are legal at the federal level. And so, in fact, when you are being asked to find on the issue of drug legalization, keep in mind that what is being experienced in California is not being experienced around the country. And as you have already seen in the prosecutor's opening statement, even in areas 
areas that are purportedly legalization areas, the government is continuing to take significant coercive action over individuals who are engaged in commercial trade of a plant. And so it is with that in mind that I ask you to consider that the drug war is a war on public safety and common sense. It has led to policing for profit. Such things as asset forfeiture, civil forfeiture, have allowed anyone who is even suspected of possessing a drug to have their property seized by the government, and the burden is then placed on them to get it back. The drug war is what has brought this policing for profit to us. Further, it has created corruption in law enforcement. It has bred disrespect for law enforcement as individuals, particularly in over-policed communities, have experienced the law not as something coming to their aid of public safety, but as an invading force coming to stop and frisk them for things that do not cause any harm to anyone else. And so this breeds a lack of trust in law enforcement that when it comes to prosecuting actual violent crimes, property crimes, the things that we actually want police to be working on, instead, they're spending their time kicking in doors over marijuana and Xanax. Dr. Bernard, two minutes, two minutes. Thank you, Al Rush. I would like to object to, to these dinosaur arguments on the cops seizing everybody's property and busting everybody for marijuana. That is not true. Most people are not going to jail for marijuana. Declaring a war Overruled. on the drug war is not working either. Thank you. Overruled. So in addition to being a war on public safety, where officers who should be solving rapes, robberies, and murders are instead going after peaceful drug users, it is also a war on the Constitution. You will later hear from Judge Jim Gray, a jurist with decades of experience in our system, telling you that even judges have recognized the damage to the Fourth Amendment that the drug war has done. Prior to drugs being criminalized, we actually had legitimate search and seizure protections. Now, a police officer merely has to say they smell the odor of a plant before your home, your car, your person can be torn apart. This is, this is not any way for a free people to operate in a republic. It is not the way our Constitution was written, and the drug war has operated to undermine these constitutional protections to which we are all entitled as Americans. And finally, the drug war is a war on people. It is a war on human beings who are doing nothing more than seeking to live their lives and make independent choices about the food and medicine that they put into their own bodies. A government that is big enough to criminalize that is a government that is big enough to take away all of your rights, and indeed that is what we have seen in the past decades. This kind of over-inclusive policing of victimless conduct allows for discrimination, it allows for destruction of family units and mass incarceration, and it involves the destruction of our cherished rights. So these policies have failed. They have made us less healthy, less free, and less safe, and we can do better. The public malfeasance is on the part of every government official who uses your tax dollars to prosecute this failed war on drugs. Thank you. Your Honor, Thank I object. You. Order in the court. Your Thank Honor, you, I'd, Dr. Bernard. I'd like Ms. Daytig, please call your first witness. You have five minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. I'd like to object. You know, nobody wants a war on drugs. Only the drug cartels want the war on drugs. So I will call my first witness, Mr. Luke Niferatos, with smart approaches on marijuana. Good to see you. Thank you, All Your right. Honor. Mr. Lucas. Luke. Mr. Luke. 
Mr. Nefrakis. I wish you to place oh. your hand on a copy of this book, Going oh, to Pot, while the rush to legalize marijuana is harming America by drug czar William J. Bennett. Please place your right hand on this book. <laughs> Do you promise to tell us the truth, nothing but the truth? So help you, William J. Bennett. I do, and so help me God as well. <laughs> Welcome. You may now continue. Mr. Niferatos, thank you for being my witness today. Uh, can you please explain what your occupation is? Yep, I'm the Executive Vice President at SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana. We're a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that is fighting against the commercialization of marijuana because we are concerned about the public health crisis that could result from commercializing a drug like marijuana. Great. And we're going to show some exhibits. So, AV, please get ready for exhibits for uh, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, SAM Slides. Um, what, is, what is the purpose of SAM? What is, what, is, what is their end game? The end game is we would like to see the public health protected in our policies not just on marijuana, that's what we're focusing on now, but on all drugs. Uh, protecting people's livelihoods, their futures, their productivity, their ability to have a family and to uh, have a productive society as well. Wonderful. Now, if I could, if I could please get your attention towards uh, Exhibit 1. Can you please clarify? Yes. And you can also see it right there. Yes. Oh, excellent. So, what, yes. What we're seeing on Exhibit 1. So this is data from the foremost survey on drug use and behavior in this country. It's called the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And what you're looking at is the red bars are non-legal states. This is for youth. Um, and, uh, excuse me, young adult, 18 to 25, and we're looking at their rates of use. So red is non-legal states. We have about 17 states that have legalized it. That is the black bars. And so you can see the massive increase in use of marijuana among young adults, 18 to 25. And in, most of the, in all these states, it's 21 and up. So three out of these years in this uh, age range are illegal. Um, and so we're seeing the biggest rise in use among our young adults. Deeply concerning because we know the brain develops until the age of 25. And so what we look at when we look at this data is we're concerned because we have an industry, $40 billion marijuana industry now, that is promoting these products. They're targeting young adults and youth, just like Big Tobacco did. And we are seeing a corresponding massive increase in the use of this drug as a result. Thank you for that. Uh, A.V., next slide. So this is uh, another important data point. This was a very large study that came out by Sarada et al. I encourage you to check out this study. 25% increase they found in youth, that's 12 to 17, youth addiction to marijuana in legal states. So they looked at all the states that have legalized marijuana. We've seen an increase of 25% in addiction. Now, for the myth out there, those of you who think marijuana is not addictive, okay? So there is a scientific diagnosis code you'll be diagnosed with called cannabis use Two disorder. Minutes. It's addiction. You will be diagnosed with it if you have it. We're seeing rapidly increasing rates of that because this drug is much more potent and much more addictive than it's ever been because the industry's altered it. Next slide, please. We talked about the black market, you heard about this. So Oregon is a state with a fairly mature legal marijuana market, about five, six years old. And 70% of all marijuana sold and consumed in that state is done on the black market, not the legal market. And it's not you know, crazy to think about why, because the black market pays no taxes and the legal market pays taxes, right? So the black market dealers are always gonna win, they're flourishing, it's not just Oregon. California, 70% is on the black market there as well. 
You can go to the next uh, slide. Next slide. So we're seeing huge amounts of seizures because cartels are flourishing in states with legal marijuana. These bars show that in 2013, before legalization, very few marijuana plants seized uh, off public lands. Now you see after legalization in Colorado, which is where I'm from, huge amounts of seizures. One minute. Next slide. One minute to go. So this is showing the increase in hospitalizations, okay? So there are over 100 million Americans in this country that are on a taxpayer-subsidized health plan in some way. Okay, so the idea that if you're going to do something that's detrimental to your health, that's only going to influence you and your health, unfortunately is wrong. We're seeing increases in, uh, you know, vomiting syndromes from people who are using this high-potency weed. We're seeing psychotic breaks, other things that are causing literally a triple-digit percent increase in hospitalizations in Colorado as a result of marijuana use. So when I look at those numbers, yeah, I'm concerned about the public health side of it. I'm also concerned about the fact that taxpayers are subsidizing a lot of these visits to the hospitals and the ERs because I don't know how many of you all went to the hospital or the ER, but it's very expensive, right? And if you don't have insurance or you're on Medicaid, Medicare, um, taxpayers are going to foot the bill for that. So these numbers are important to see. Next slide. So this is a butane hash oil explosion in LA. People are, and this is in a legal market, folks, that's regulated. Supposedly, this drug's supposed to be so safe because it's legal and regulated. But people are preparing marijuana, you know, and we're seeing these explosions happen because of the way it's being prepared. Um, and so this is just one of many externalities that we're seeing with a market that's being created. Because when you have an industry, they need to find customers. They want to drive demand for their product. Great when it's an Apple iPhone. Horrible when it's an addictive drug that can addict an entire population and drive them to do things that are very risky, like butane hash oil. Uh, All right. related marijuana. And 12 time. firefighters were literally burned in this in this explosion. Yeah, and had to be 11 had to be hospitalized. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Thank you, Mr. Dr. Bernard, your witness. Fabulous witness. Dr. Bernard, your witness, you have 5 minutes to cross-examine. Thank you, Your Honor. So, Mr. Nefrados, is your contention that iPhones are not addictive? I think that they certainly can be addictive. <laughs> All right, but you're not asking for iPhones to be criminalized as well. No, because using your iPhone doesn't alter your state of mind or cause psychosis or <laughs> schizophrenia or uh, vomiting syndrome or anything like that. I don't know. Last I, I mean, I have an we iPhone. We might have I to haven't. leave that up to the jury. <laughs> All right, I also, in, in one of your recent op-eds, you noted that the decades-long war on drugs that is perceived in some quarters as a failure, in what quarters is it perceived as a success? I, interesting question. So what I would say is you look at the overall drug use across our population, okay? So use of our legal drugs, alcohol and tobacco, is so alcohol is 60% in this country, tobacco is 30% in this country, versus the use of our illegal drugs. Our illegal drugs combined are less than 10% of regular use in this country. So um, you look at the numbers. Obviously, discouraging drug use has worked in terms of it has reduced the amount of drug use. It's, it's, you know, everyone knows it's illegal. Now, does that mean that program's been perfect? Absolutely not. I think there needs to be a lot of reforms um, to our drug laws. Absolutely. For example, I don't think anybody should go to jail for having use, uh, you know, using it on their person, you know, having a joint in their pocket. But we cannot deny that drugs discourage, or laws discouraging drug use have worked in this country because we don't have industries pushing them. We have a very small number of our uh, people in our population that are using them. And so I do think from that perspective, there's a case to be made. We should discourage drug, law, uh, drug use. 
I noticed that a number of the statistics you've provided rely on reporting of drug use from individuals. How do you think whether or not something is legal affects whether or not people are willing to confess to having used those items in a report where you're collecting that information? Two minutes, two minutes, you've could, got two minutes. Could you, could you rephrase that? Sorry, I, I wasn't, could you rephrase that please? So with all of these statistics that rely on individuals saying, I, I report a use of marijuana or hard drugs, how do you think that self-reporting is affected by whether or not something is legal or illegal? I'm sure that, that plays a role, but at the end of the day, we have to have data that we're using to make our decisions. You know, I think we all think of reefer madness when we think of marijuana and, you know, the very outlandish claims made by the government. We can't go back to those days. We have to use the science and the data that we have from our top research institutions, and that's what I'm citing. When you look at national surveys on drug use and health, for example, that's sterling data. You would be hard-pressed to find better data than that uh, when we're looking at this discussion. But isn't it true that the fact that these substances are all still federally illegal has significantly reduced the amount of research that can be done over the previous decades? So Objection. Marijuana science is junk science. It, that's junk science. Overruled. It's a weed. So there's this misnomer out there that the uh, scheduling status of marijuana and other drugs has limited the amount of research we can do. I think a lot of us would be surprised to know two things. One, more than 40,000 studies have been done on marijuana to date. We've got a lot more coming. And two, the FDA has approved a number of marijuana-based medications that have gone through clinical trials and been approved by science. So yes, it is harder to review uh, you know, federally scheduled drugs. Um, it's hard to, you know, to uh, research opioids, for example. But I, I don't know that it should be easy to just go find opioids on the street and research them. I think we should have controls, and I think that's reasonable. Time, time, that's time. Mr. Niferatos, you may step down. Ms. Daytig, please call your second witness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Niferatos. I now call to the stand Mark Elliott, famous Hollywood biographer, author, spokesperson. Hollywood's number one biographer. Number, Hollywood's number one biographer. I highly recommend you watch his YouTube presentations where he gives talks. Mr. Elliott, yes. please place your right hand on a copy of the 1936 DVD, Reefer Madness. <laughs> Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you Willie Nelson and Merrill Haggard. <laughs> Judge, this I won't is speak for them, but I'll speak I for object. me. Yes. All right. I object to this mockery. <laughs> Overrules. <laughs> I like saying that. Mr. Elliott, could you please explain what your profession is? What you do for what you do for a living? Could you, a, could you tell uh, the jury what you do? I'm a pop culture critic. I'm a biographer, mostly of uh, Hollywood and uh, musicians, uh, Hollywood actors and musicians. I've been exposed in that world. Um, my latest book. Merle Haggard, or The Hag, which I'm going to talk about on uh, tomorrow. Uh, his most famous song was, uh, We Don't Smoke Marijuana in Muskogee. Everywhere else was okay, but in Muskogee, we, uh, we didn't smoke it. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, right. I have seen not the criminal effects. I'll leave that to my... Uh, fellow witness. I've seen the cultural effects that marijuana has 
Uh, and my main, my main objection to it, and the reason I don't think it should be legal, is because it promotes passivity. And in a nation where more than ever we need to be active and we need to be able to stand up to what's wrong, who's wrong, when it's wrong, um, this, this uh, legalization of marijuana is, is sending out a palliative to, to the population to say, well, here, get stoned. We don't mind. Get stoned. And don't bother about what we're doing. It's passivity. And I, I'd like to um, quote a line from a song a friend of mine wrote where he said, um, smoking marijuana is more fun than drinking beer. But a friend of us got busted, and they gave him 20 years. Now, wouldn't it be a riot if we called the cops and tried to set him free? But we're too busy reading Playboy and the lingerie section of the Sunday New York Times. Get it? Yeah, paying attention is required in America, especially when we have socialist policies governing these, these drug legalization efforts. I, last time I checked, we're a constitutional republic uh, and, and uh, not a socialist country. So, Ms. Daytig, yes, two, sir. Minutes, two minutes. Yes, sir, yes, sir. So do you, do you believe that celebrities were, were I mean, I, you know, we've heard a lot about celebrity deaths on, on various uh, gossip columns and things like that. What is your opinion on how um, you know, this affects Hollywood in general, that celebrities are known drug users, but also that people keep selling drugs to known celebrities and nobody ever gets in trouble for this? This should be an issue, well, a right? A couple of them got in trouble, but years ago, Robert Mitchum was uh, sent to jail for a smoking pot. But you have to understand that Hollywood, actors and actresses in Hollywood are children. And the children of Hollywood actors and actresses are also children. So there, there's nobody really um, enforcing anything except this narcissistic um, instant gratification. And the example that is shown uh, is one, well, permissiveness. Uh, permissiveness and uh, don't worry about it today, uh, worry about it tomorrow. But the cumulative effect One minute. of drugs like marijuana uh, can be deadly uh, to your health. How do you how do you see the connection? Yes, yes, Judge. How do you see the connection between drug abuse of a celebrity and method acting? Do you think it makes it better or worse? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure which is worse, drug taking or method acting. I had a feeling you would say that, sir. I had a feeling you would say that. Uh, yeah. you, you know, method acting is it's, it's not really acting. It's, it's a charismatic acting. Um, and I think if you're, you know, someone like James Dean who smoked marijuana, and then was killed in a car crash. Who knows what, uh, what, if there's a connection, but who knows what would have happened to him uh, in his life. Um, sometimes fast cars are as bad as uh, marijuana, but I, I would say the odds are that you stick away from marijuana and drive and you'll live a lot longer.
Thank you. You've been a wonderful witness. Thank you, Mr. Elliott. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor, and good afternoon, Mr. Elliott. So you. You, have, you have studied a number of celebrities and their relationships with the drugs that they have chosen to take. Is that right? Yes. So are you familiar with fighter Mike Tyson and his experimentation with psychedelics and cannabis and the effect that he has said that it had on his anger management and other issues? Mike Tyson. Well, Mike Tyson, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's somebody who maybe had five days of non-drugs in his system since he was 10 years old. But he, he's, not, he's not the norm. Uh, he, he's an example. Uh, you can take somebody like Cary Grant, who legally took LSD for a couple of years, and it saved his life. So the question is, you have to put into context uh, what the drug is, what effect it has, who's controlling it, and why you need it. Absolutely. Uh, but two minutes, Dr. Bernard, two minutes. Thank you. And, and as for celebrities like Willie Nelson that you've mentioned, would his music be better if he did not smoke cannabis? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, some people would say, could it get any worse? Uh, uh, <laughs> Willie is a friend of mine, so uh, he would be here laughing or shooting me. Um, Merle Haggard, uh, somebody who I can tell you smoked pot, but stopped it and moved on to harder drugs because he, you need uh, more and more of any drug. And sooner or later, marijuana didn't do it for him. And it nearly wrecked his life. It nearly wrecks all musicians' life, lives in the end. It's, um, you know, it's like candy. It's like giving candy to an obese person with diabetes. It's a pleasure, it's a relief, but it also can kill you. How about athletes time, like time. Michael Phelps? Time, Dr. Bernard. Ms. Daytig, uh, do you have any further witnesses? No, that's all, Your Honor. All right, Mark Elliott, thank you. Very good. All right. Fine job. Dr. Bernard, Great thank you, Ms. Daytig. Dr. Bernard, Very please good. call your first Excellent. witness for the defense. Nice job. The defense calls Judge Jim Gray to the stand. Judge Gray, are you familiar with this part of the program? Will you please put your right hand on a copy of Free to Choose by Milton Friedman. Do you swear to, oh, both hands, both hands. Do you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So help you God, so help you Milton Friedman. Same thing. I always tell the truth, ask my wife. Okay. You, here's your <laughs> And good afternoon, Judge Gray. Could you tell our jury a little bit about your experience in, in life? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that this is a surreal, mind-altering experience just to be judged by Wayne Allen Root, so it can't get much worse than that. <laughs> Secondly, 
I was a former criminal defense attorney in the Navy, a former federal prosecutor in Los Angeles, and a trial court judge for 25 years in Orange County, California. And after I'd been on the bench for about nine years, I used my background and my observations and held a press conference. Judges do not do that, and actually said to anyone that would listen that our nation's policy of drug prohibition had failed, and we had to move it, and we had to change it. And I've been talking about it ever since. By the way, may I also add that uh, we do, I do not favor the legalization of drugs. Milton Friedman did not favor the legalization of drugs. If you're thinking a legal drug, think aspirin. Your 12-year-old daughter could go to any pharmacy and buy a case of it if she wanted to. That's not what we're talking about. There's no age restrictions on, on aspirin. We are talking about a strictly regulated and controlled substance. So, Your Honor, we really should move for directed verdict. We're not involved with drug legalization at all. Overruled. Mistrial. Mistrial. <laughs> Bribing the jury. One day I will sustain. One day. Overruled. And Judge Gray, you mentioned your famous press conference of April 8, 1992. Are you the only judge who feels this way about the dangers and problems of the drug war? Actually, Ms. Bernard, I wrote a book called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, a judicial indictment of the war on drugs. By the way, it was endorsed by Milton Friedman, Secretary of State George Shultz, and Walter Cronkite, I'm proud to say. So I quoted about 30 judges back in 2001 that made similar comments all around the country. So this is not an isolated perspective. The very people who are responsible for carrying out drug laws and sentencing are concerned about the effect that it is having on our country. Indeed so, as well they should be. And many, many more, I can t personally tell you, feel the same way, but they're hesitant to speak publicly about it. But I only have a short period of time. I'd like to cover four issues quickly, if I could. The first is that we need to put, we understand that these drugs can be harmful, no question about it. So can my drug of choice, which is alcohol. So we need to employ a system that will reduce that harm. And right now, point number two is that we're bringing drug money into our society, and drug money causes many more problems than actually the drugs do themselves. It is outrageous. And if you think about that, think about Mexico. You know, all of the, in fact, so many parts of Mexico today have been overtaken by, by drug, Mexican drug cartels and it's the drug money that's doing it. All of the crime and the corruption and the beheadings are not caused by drugs at all. They're caused by drug money, and it's our drug money that's doing it. How do you make that feel? So that's where we are. Number three, we have to understand that there's no quality control with regard to illicit drugs. In fact, you go back to alcohol prohibition, and this is drug prohibition, but alcohol prohibition, people died because they drank this white lightning or they got blinded by it because there's no quality control whatsoever. When we came to our senses and repealed alcohol prohibition, that problem went away almost overnight. Check the emergency room records. So that's a really important factor as well. Judge Gray, time, time. Can you fin finish your statement? One, one more. So with regard to we do this for the children, nonsense. Look. Drug prohibition is causing drugs to be given to children where they would not be otherwise. There's no age restrictions. That's the last thing that drug, legal, drug sellers are going to do. Plus, you will find that adult drug dealers will actually trust children. They're, they're a cheap source of labor to be lookouts, to be couriers, and that sort of thing. And as soon as their reliability is established, they'll trust the children to go out and sell small amounts of drugs in the community. Why would they do that? They make more money. And 
the kid makes more money. Judge Ask yourself Stein. this question. If you're going to have a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy or girl selling drugs, who are they going to sell to? Us? No, they're going to sell to their 14, 15-year-old peers, thus recruiting more children to this lifestyle of drug usage and drug selling. It is not a pretty thing to see. I see it in, drug court, in juvenile court all the time. Repeal drug prohibition. Final thought there. The criminal justice system was, was meant to, created to, protect us from each other. It is not created to and is terribly ineffective at protecting us from ourselves. So it makes as much sense to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It's the same thing. So we need to discuss this issue frontly, front and center, and we libertarians are leading the way. Thank you, Judge Gray. Other than time, that, I time, have no time, opinion whatsoever. Time, judge. Hit you with contempt charges. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Again? Uh, you're still up there, Judge. I now call uh, Ms. Daytig, your witness. Your Honor, Judge Gray, thank you for, for being, uh, being my cross-examination witness. Um, I have one objection, if I may, and the objection is prohibition is, is not an attainable policy. Neither is sobriety. Uh, these are not, it was never attainable. Neither was anybody who ever smoked marijuana would turn into a bat, which was the argument for prohibition, not attainable. These are ridiculous arguments and we have to start thinking a little bit smarter about our drug situation, especially now that the Democrats have open borders. These, all of these conversations are nullified as long as we have black market competition, Your Honor, I'm gonna let you speak. Judge, can you, you, you came out against, publicly against, our nation's policy on drug prohibition. And, and this was a really big risk that you took. And it was back in 1972, 1992. But you've been thinking about this for a very long time. I read your book, uh, and, and several of them actually I've read. Um, can you please explain why you did this? And I'm gonna let you talk, because I, want, I really wanna understand your position. Look, I saw from my own experience, both as a defense attorney, prosecutor, and judge, that their system wasn't working. It was creating problems for people. And we were maximizing harms instead of reducing them. And I figured, why doesn't somebody say about this? Why doesn't somebody come out and talk about it? And then decided, who better than a conservative judge from a conservative county who's never used any form of illicit substances? So I had to do it myself, and I did. Right. And, and how do you think it's going? I held a press conference in 1992, and I promised anyone who would listen that by the year 2000, we will have a materially different drug policy in our country, because it was so plain what we were doing wasn't working. And boy, was I wrong. In many ways, in 2022, we're worse shape now than we were in 1992. Right. Terrible Time. thing to Time. see. Time. So you, think, you think the current drug policy is failing? It has failed and has continued to fail. The United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. You tell me whether how well we're doing. Time, Ms. Daytick, time. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You, Your Honor. Thank you. Judge Gray, you may step down. Fine job. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Call your next witness, uh, your next witness Dr. Bernard. Thank you, Your Honor. The defense calls Ovens O'Brien. have a seat. Miss O'Brien, 
please place your right hand on this book, Weed the People, Weed the People, The Future of Legal Marijuana in America. Do you swear to tell the whole truth? Oh, very nice nails. Very impressive, <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, where, what was it? where was I? I uh, do. Yes, <laughs> you, you do? Okay, very good. <laughs> And good afternoon, Ms. O'Brien. Could you please introduce yourself to the jury and tell them your occupation and where you live? So I'm Avins O'Brien. I live in Los Angeles. I'm a libertarian activist, photographer, speaker, and drug dealer. And could you tell us specifically what parts of the cannabis and psychedelics industry you have been involved in and what, is your, but what has been your experience with seeing patients who have used these substances? Sure, so I have spent the last five years working in legal cannabis in Los Angeles. I have run a cannabis, a recreational cannabis company. And, uh, and then for the last two, I've been working as director of development for a company called Advanced Mycology, where we help individuals get their, a, help individuals grow their own psychedelic mushrooms. Well, this, have you been able to observe any uh, positive benefits for these substances in the patients that your companies have worked with? Absolutely. See, there are massive medicinal, therapeutic, and recreational benefits to uh, cannabis and numerous psychedelic drugs. We've been able to see this in, in studies performed by uh, scientists and researchers at um, Johns Hopkins University, UCLA, UC Berkeley, and uh, numerous research institutions across the country. We are seeing incredible gains in, uh, in people dealing with um, depression, uh, PTSD, anxiety, OCD, um, dealing with the side effects of things like cancer diagnosis. There are tremendous benefits, and I see it even when people are taking them recreationally, they're finding medicinal benefits and therapeutic benefits in the process. So you've experienced folks who've been able to treat their anxiety, depression, PTSD with substances that are considered federally illegal. Absolutely. Okay. Two minutes, Dr. Bernard, two minutes. How has this federal criminalization inhibited people's ability to get help if they do have a problem with drug abuse? So here's the thing, is that yes, it is possible to abuse drugs. It is possible to have negative side effects from drugs. But when drugs are both stigmatized and also illegal in most places, people cannot get the help they need at the time that it would be most useful to them. They struggle to, to confide in their loved ones, their friends, or, or, or find institutions that can help them um, get the help that they need. So what we see is, is when you, when you stigmatize these things, people can't talk about not just the negative effects, such as, oh, I'm having a problem with this substance, but you also find you get fewer reports of the positive effects that people are having. And so we are not able to get as much data on the positive effects that people have every single day, that I hear about every single day as I sell people drugs. And isn't it, you, you've seen some of the statistics that have been provided by lobbying groups such as Smart Approaches to Marijuana regarding alleged increases in youth drug use. Isn't it true that some of the states that they have mentioned, such as Colorado, already had higher rates of teen drug use prior to their legalization schemes? This is true. And it, it's also this, 
the environment in which you talk about drug prohibition or or even that stigmatization so even if it's legal the uh, the way that parents communicate with their uh, children about drugs this this is the problem it is not a problem for government to solve it's a problem for parents to solve and this is why if you don't want your children doing drugs then parent your kids thank you time time Ms. Thank Tate, you, take Mr. your Ryan. cross. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Ms. O'Brien. Yes. Thank you for being here today. Given the established negative outcomes of legalization, such as increased use, what do you think is the best policy to address the harms? To address the harms of, yeah. of drug of use? Drug use. Well, so yeah. for the harms, okay, the harms Both. of drug Both. abuse. I think that it is, there are, there are institutions and groups and, and support organizations that can be, that have been created and can be created to help people who actually have drug abuse problems. However, that is a very small percentage of the population of people who are actually doing drugs. The biggest victims of drug use are two people, the prisoners who are in jail, not, not because of the drugs themselves, but because the government has sent them there and they have wasted their human capital and our economic capital as taxpayers. Those are the biggest victims. The biggest victims of drugs are the taxpayers and those of us who are dealing with, like the prisoners in jail. Those aren't, that's not drug addiction. That is not the inherent risk of drug, drugs. That is the inherent risk of government. One minute, one minute in the cross, Ms. Tate. Thank you. So just a few yes or no questions, if you would. Sure. Do you think marijuana can be habit-forming? I'm sorry? Do you think marijuana can be habit-forming? Yes. Um, do it you is think, not physically addictive. It, do you think the reason that people use is as important as the, as the cause? Do I think that in other words, not, not everybody just uses marijuana recreationally. People use marijuana because maybe they're upset or they have to decompress at the end of the day or maybe they're dealing with trauma. Sure. Do you think the reason is as important? In other words, if you have somebody who uses recreationally because they want to decompress at the end of the day or someone uses because they just got in a fight with somebody and is going to commit a crime, does that bother you? I mean, do you think there's a, there's a, there's a, def, there's a you know, I mean, I don't actually have any judgment as to why people put things in their bodies. Go. But um, at the okay. end of the day, people should be able to use recreation, oh, should be able to use these drugs for medicinal, therapeutic, and recreational purposes as they see fit as okay. individuals. Okay. Okay. So, oh, okay. Got about 45 seconds. Here, slide, please. please. Exhibit seven. Ooh, a slide. Oh, I see. So, so this is this is seven pounds. Uh, this is five pounds worth of uh, meth. Uh, this was last Saturday was seized at the uh, at the border, and so so the ingredients in methamphetamine are chemical ingredients, right? And I don't think that most people understand the difference between mar a marijuana plant, which is considered a stimulant and methamphetamine, which is actually considered an addictive drug. You think that people don't recognize well, the difference words, between the two? Do you think I think everyone knows no. the difference between weed and let speed. Me, let, me, let me conclude. Do you, do you think that most users should be advised that things like methamphetamine are made with things like red ether, which is used for fireworks? 
I think that if these, if these products were legal or decriminalized, then it would, it would open a veil of transparency as to what they are made of. And the fact that they are illegal and illicit means that we cannot test them for quality and we cannot let, and, and it makes it harder for someone to say, I'm interested in this product, I would like to purchase it from a dealer. And a dealer, which would then be a shopkeeper, would be able to tell you exactly what is in your product and how good it is for you or how bad it is for you. Time, time. Okay. I have the last thing, fentanyl testing kit in bathrooms in San Francisco. Uh, if you could just show that slide, the fentanyl testing kit. <laughs> Do we have time for that? No. Okay. We don't. All right, all right. You want to show it? Show yeah. it. Go ahead. Show okay. It. Right can, you, can you show me? It's a little tray with fentanyl testing strips. Go back. There. So this is Narcan nasal spray and fentanyl, fentanyl test strips that are in a bathroom with breath mints and other types of supplies. Yeah, wouldn't it be a, nice a, if a, these things were legal garden. and people were able to get tests, like so able to test in, things and not just have... The problem with legal drugs is so bad that now you can get uh, overdose kits in bathrooms. So I just... So maybe make them legal and it won't be so dangerous because people will be able to, to, to control access. Do you think people should understand the significance of, you know, the tolerance risk and relapse? I think when you destigmatize. Yes or no? Yes or no? Do I, I'm sorry. Do you think do you think people should be educated on tolerance out risk of time. and relapse? Out of I do time. think people should be educated about substances that they're putting in their body. They should not be prohibited from them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. O'Brien. Thank you, Dr. Bernard. Any further witnesses? No, Your Honor. The defense rests. We thank the jury for their time, and we ask them to return a verdict in accord with the Constitution, public safety, and common sense, and that you find us not guilty of public malfeasance. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bernard. To the jury, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard expert witnesses and the statements of both the prosecution and the defense. It's now up to you to decide the guilt or innocence of Dr. Bernard and other defenders of drug legalization. The foreman will tally the votes and announce the verdict. The decision by the jury, once again, I want to remind you, can be determined by a majority vote. It does not require a unanimous decision. Is that clear? Are there any questions? I have a question, Your Honor. Yes. I would like to, I would like to have a retrial. I would like to, I would like, in, a, in a state where marijuana is not legal, where they are not collecting sin taxes for marijuana. I believe this is not a fair venue to have a fair trial. Therefore, I respectfully request Your Honor declare a mistrial. Overruled. Your Honor, I further object because we didn't have time to discuss how the militarized tools of law enforcement that have come about because of the drug war have been used against school board parents and other political dissenters today. Overruled. We're going straight to a vote. In the interests of Freedom Fest. <laughs> it's as rigged like the 2020 election. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's my debate on Saturday morning. I've got that debate on Saturday morning. It's not a, not a fair trial. And by the way, I hope you'll all come by. 11 o'clock Saturday morning here. was the 2020 election. Rigged and stolen, I will be taking President Trump's side against some crazy leftist journalist. <laughs> oh, that's good. Jump on that, Judge. <laughs>
best I can tell, the world's gone to hell, and we're sure gonna miss it a lot. All of the whiskey in Lynchburg, Tennessee's just couldn't hit the spot. I got a hundred dollar bill, friend, to keep your pills. Come on up. There you go. We were looking for you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Must think I'm dumb as a rock. Reading me the news while I'm kicking off my shoes and it's scaring me out of my socks. Admitted it's stranger, I'm not. But buddy, let me tell you what. If you ask old Will to say, here's the deal, friends, it's all going to pot. Well, it's all going to pot. Whether we like it or not. Best I can tell, the world's gone to hell and we're all gonna miss it a lot. All the whiskey in Lynchburg, Tennessee just couldn't hit the spot. Got a hundred dollar bill, you can keep your pills, friend, it's all going to pot. Okay. It's good? It's good. There we go. We have a verdict? Yes. Who's reading it? You? No. Oh, it's no. the full package. Where's the full Have you reached a verdict? Has the jury reached a verdict, please? Foreman, has the jury reached a verdict? Does he need a mic? Oh, we need a mic. Hold on. Mic. Hold on. Hold on. We'll give you a mic so everyone can hear the verdict. I understand it's very close. Mr. Foreman, please read the verdict. So we, the jury, um, I found the verdict to be with five um, not guilties. No, with five uh, guilties and seven not guilty. Um, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Wait, five and five is not guilty? Thank you very much. That's you very not guilty by a seven to five vote. Dr. Bernard, you seven and your supporters five. of drug legalization have been found not guilty and are therefore free to go and enjoy a night on the town in Sin City, including a free ticket to the number one marijuana lounge in Las Vegas, The Joint, and this coupon valued at $100 worth of seven joints, eight edibles, and 10 CBD THC chocolate bars. Case closed. Good night. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. You know, it's so funny if I've been like, awesome. It's all going to fun. Whether we like it or not, best I can tell the world